Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. How about those Oilers? They're great. <laughs> Coming to you almost live from the emergency room at the University of Alberta Hospital, this is The Unknown Studio. Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts. And it's a glorious day in The Unknown Studio today because we have a young woman named Romo Sobieski who has returned from a trip in parts unknown. But we'll know shortly what those parts were when she tells us. And then Hi, they will Roma. no longer be. Hi, guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, before we do get started, though, I should note that uh, we are no longer censoring this podcast because I swear too much for Scott to be able to keep up. So basically, he broke the censoring. Yeah, like the the beep sound that we sometimes use, it uh, it doesn't work anymore. So uh, every time I use one of the seven George Carlin swear words, and I'm not going to repeat them right now because I don't have seven dollars on me, I will donate a dollar into a swear jar and at the end of the season we will take that money and donate it to a charity maybe we'll donate it to the organization that roma is associated with. and that is an excellent segue is it not what organization is that adam uh well i'd actually like roma to tell us <laughs> sure yeah tell us about this organization that you're here representing well i'm involved with an organization called camta and it stands for the canadian association of medical teams abroad and what we do is we go to Ecuador once a year for a span of two weeks and with a team of orthopedic surgeons, physiotherapists, nurses, and we try and do as many orthopedic surgeries as possible for the people of Ecuador who cannot afford it otherwise. Now, uh, why Ecuador? Is it because it's particularly beautiful? Yes. Well, it is very beautiful. <laughs> I know. Um, it's also very cold because even though it's by the equator, it's really high. So it's like 2,800 meters above sea level. So it's oh. really cold. It's actually just springtime all the time there. So it's so not I, hot. I would have thought that you'd be like walking around in tank tops and shorts and no. stuff like that. No, no not at it's all. It's definitely chilly. And we went during the raining season, so it was a little <laughs> bit rainy. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, so what led you to Campta? How did you discover this organization existed? And why did you become involved with it? Mm, I love this story. Um, well, I have always wanted to become a pediatric surgeon since I was really young, just because the anatomy is fascinating and... I care about people and I just want to help people and I've um, I like blood and gore so I thought why not become a pediatric surgeon my fetal pig experiment in grade 12 I actually kept the fetal pig and uh, no emotional attachments so I named it fetal pig experiment number one because I thought I'd have more than a few you so. were a scientist long before you were a scientist yeah exactly fantastic so um, when I actually lived in Ecuador for two months with a host family down there and I came back, took a year off school just to see if this was if school was really for me and if this is what I, really what I wanted to do. And then I decided to go into Spanish, so to continue on my Spanish. So I went, I met a friend there who actually went with CAMTA as a student, which is just kind of a layperson that helps out with um, sterilizing instruments and keeping everything in order. Um, so she told me that I'd be perfect for this organization, gave me the lady's email, and it's history from there. So, and I actually... I, I applied as a med as a student, not a medical student, but just a student, just to help out. And I put on my resume that I knew basic Spanish, and they interviewed me as a translator, and I was good enough to go. Really? Yeah. So you you went 
not as a medical student, so you were just there kind of like a, like a gopher, like getting stuff, cleaning stuff up, like... What well, there's a role? few, sorry, there's a few yeah. people that do that. Okay. Um, but I actually went as the role of a translator. Oh, sorry. I, yes, misheard you. Yeah. So I applied as, as um, a student and then they said I knew enough Spanish. So I had a phone interview in Spanish and my Spanish isn't great. It's definitely intermediate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can communicate well. There's just a lot of grammar mistakes. There, it's very different than English. It's a very different language. And it's, I had the opportunity to go as a translator. So I translated for the doctors, the nurses, the physiotherapists between the patients. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I mean, explaining surgery to people or, or a, a medical condition, wouldn't that require like a fairly advanced vocabulary or, or was like, was it easy to sort of mime out and explain in span in what limited Spanish, you know, what kind of surgery someone was undergoing or, or what the recovery process would be like? Well, generally for adults, they all had hip replacements. Oh, really? They all had osteoarthritic hips, yes. Okay. Because down there, um, the children have, a lot of the children have hip dysplasia, which well, is the hips are out of line. Why is that? Um, part of it is genetics. Okay. And part of it is the way they're actually carried. I don't know if you've ever seen any pictures, but they're carried on their backs. And so for some reason, it, it misaligns the bones. Really? And yeah. And so it has to do with hip dysplasia. And well, it leads to hip dysplasia. I don't know much about it. I'm, I'm no doctor, but I, I might know, you know, in the next few years. <laughs> but um, so a lot of the kids had hip dysplasia. So we fixed their hips. Um, we elongated their tendons, some of their tendons, if they had cerebral palsy or things like that. Wow. But if they have hip dysplasia as young kids, um, their joints are misaligned. Mm-hmm. And so when, by the time they're 40 years old, they can't walk because they have arthritis in their hips. So that's when they come to Camta and they say, okay, I need either one hip or two hips replaced. And, you know, they're assessed for financial need. They're assessed by the social worker. And then they say, yes, you can have it or no, you cannot. So we, we did some osteotomies and some hip surgeries for children yeah now they're going to be in casts for six weeks but this is to prevent these osteoarthritic hips so when they're 40 they can still walk and take care of their family hopefully 30 years from now no one from camp is going there to fix any older people exactly exactly very but meanwhile we we still fix mothers and fathers who can't walk and can't provide for their family because they don't have free health care there yeah so if you don't if you have a hip that's not working you can't go out and work you can't make money for your family to have health care so there's actually a really cool story um one of our last days that we were there a gentleman came back and said look at these x-rays they're from seven years ago you guys did both of my hips um he said we did one hip one year and then the next year we did the following hip. Meanwhile, like in between, um, his wife died. So he was forced to take care of his three kids, but he couldn't walk. So he came back and got his second hip done and he could walk, he could work, he could provide for his kids again. And this year his sister came because she heard of this and she had an osteoarthritic hip, again, probably genetics. Um, and she she got hip surgery. And it, I mean, it gives me goosebumps because it's such an awesome story to see their their happy faces and they're so grateful for everything that you do. It's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And it's got a built-in viral marketing campaign, especially if you do your surgeries properly. Yeah. Sorry. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I work in marketing. You yeah, understand. Yeah. Well, it's true. This is this is how people hear about it is word of mouth. So so how how often is Camta in Ecuador? Are they Do they have a presence there all the time? No, unfortunately, no. we only do missions once a year. Okay. There's two teams that go of 40, about 45 people each. Cause there's, it's a big team that goes. I was very surprised. You know, I thought it was, it is only a couple surgeons for adults and a couple kids, surgeons, pediatric surgeons, but 
you need the pre-op nurses, you need the OR nurses, you need the post-op nurses, you need the ward nurses, you need the physiotherapists, you need everybody, anesthesiologists, anesthesiology techs, you need the translators, you need you need everybody to make so basically, this, you need a mobile hospital. It, yeah. It's actually exactly what we did. We brought crutches. Everybody had two gigantic duffel bags that they brought with them. It was funny going through the airport because we all had two huge duffel bags. You know, the ho- the ones that hockey team goalies use, right? Yeah, yeah. Some are full of crutches. Some are full of anesthetic equipment. Like, And we're just sitting there, you know, 50 people carrying these carrying these gigantic bags. So it was. it, it is a mobile hospital for sure. So, so does the... Now, I know that you will get to how you wound up raising money to get out to Ecuador mm-hmm. in a moment. But uh, I wanted to ask you if CAMTA receives any support from the federal government or or the province or if it's all, you know, uh, sp- funded by sponsorship or just by individuals like you and me. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, there is no government support for this. Um, it's all funded by word of mouth. And you're right. Exactly. Individuals, community individuals like us. Hmm. Um I believe this is the second year in a row that we had Smith and Nephew, which is a huge company in the medical world. Mm-hmm. They donated the prostheses for us, so I think it was about a hundred thousand dollars that they donated. So you were walking around with a hundred G worth of hips. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Wow, you need a hip, just like walking down the street <laughs> offering people hips. I actually saw one we because I got to sit in on a surgery, so yeah. I, I watched um, a bilateral hip replacement. So both hips were replaced, and it was actually really cool the way they did it. Like they actually take. It, it's a it's a tool that looks like a cheese grater. Oh yuck! And they actually have to grate into the hip joint, and yeah, it's really cool. And then you like see the to actually ball. get it out of there. That oh my good lord! Yeah, it's really really cool. The if the surgeons are going to listen to this, they're going to laugh because they'll be like cheese grater. <laughs> and then it's it's true. They they actually have to they dig out a hole in the hip to make it fit the the ball, and then they have a little joint, and then they have more metal pieces, and they just stuff it in and then they hammer and there's blood on the roof and everything it's cool are you serious yeah i had to wear a mask in order to because i got some splashed on my on my face and <laughs> it's like grindhouse awesome. or something like that. <laughs> that's amongst the most horrific things ever discussed on this podcast oh yes. but you want to hear the worst part about it we do we actually. sure do yeah um the patients weren't actually fully asleep oh my god Good Lord. Do I want Scott? <laughs> is this the kind of thing where they can't be fully anesthetized uh, when the surgery takes place? Or is it is was it just like, oh, my God, they're not asleep? Um, they, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. No, they did just have a spinal anesthetic. So it just um, it numbed them from the bottom down. But the children were all put under general anesthetic. I think it was it made for an easier recovery. I really? believe that would be the reason that my they did dentist it, yeah. told me that when he replaced my hip. <laughs> when I had my wisdom tooth out, it was a similar similar story. It's an easier recovery, I believe, if you just have a local anesthetic. So they okay. just had, um, and but they could you could still feel the pressure, and you could still feel the hammering, and you could hear it. Right? And you could still so, see the blood being spattered onto people's faces. No, well, the patients couldn't, but we could. So I would insist upon <laughs> seeing that. Um, but the best part was that one of our uh, anesthesiologists speaks Spanish mm-hmm. ab- about intermediate level as well. Like he didn't go as a translator. He's an adult anesthesiologist. So he um, spoke Spanish right in the room. So he could comfort the patient and he could talk to the patient one-on-one rather than having an intermediate translator, yeah. which was an amazing feeling. It was uh, to be there and to see him speak, say, you know, are you okay? How are you feeling? You're doing good. Like it's, it, your surgery's going well. It was really, really cool for me because as a translator, I often saw, I was the intermediate person between, you know, the, the general physician who said, okay, can you ask this person, you know, did they urinate last night or did, did they eat last night? Did they go to the bathroom or whatever? Um, but to be able to see 
there's a lot more of a connection. You feel a lot more personal connection with the patients if you can actually talk to them yourself. Yeah, I'm sure. The only problem I would have, even at an intermediate level of Spanish, is telling the patient and helping them to count down backwards from 10. <laughs> but they're not going fully under, so it's no big deal. Yeah, exactly. That, that's maybe another reason why they, why they don't do that. Is because they have to count Because then backwards. they'd have to listen to someone counting backwards in Spanish from 10. They wouldn't understand what the hell's going on. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And then, maybe if you were to do that. <laughs> they, see, this is why I'm not you a doctor. You're limited Spanish. This is why I'm not a doctor. I have an arts degree in psychology, everybody. Awesome. You know but how I can brain see works? into your mind. No, I know how no, that'd be the brain psychology. responds to pretty colors and What beads. does art psychology give you? Social psychology. Um, <clears throat> the science of art. I don't know. I took all the, all the science psychology courses anyway. Okay. The point is, Adam has a degree, awesome. but it's worthless. That's ah. exactly. That's why we do the show. I'll have one after this year too. So a worthless uh, degree? Not a worthless degree. Yeah, well, just just a science degree. Just a science degree. It's just as worthless as an arts degree. Every hey, almost every I'm university employed. Everybody, <laughs> I am fully one hundred percent employed. I will not be. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do you have a specialization then at school mm, for getting I'm, your BSc done? I'm a double major in biology and chemistry. Well, you don't uh, F around, do you? No. No. Isn't that uh, like, doesn't that mean you don't have a life? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, okay. She's in fact spending her life right here in the unknown studio today. She's taking a study break to join us. I don't watch The Simpsons. Oh, yes. And this is a... a, a Life-altering A dark show. mark on her on her record as far as I'm concerned. For the uh, 30s of listeners who we've just totally 40s. Lost. We're up to 40s. Oh, we'll be at 50s next week. Oh. <laughs> For the 40s to 50s of listeners that we may have just lost in the conversation, <laughs> the Simpsons reference comes from something that came up before we started recording. Bear with us. Some pimple boil joke or something. Yeah. Pimples, boils, all that good stuff. That's what we're talking about today. Yeah. And it's glorious. So are you, are you taking a science degree with the intention of getting into medicine? Yes. I eventually want to get into medicine. That was my entire deal. What kind of medicine? I would love to do pediatric me- pediatric surgery is the ideal kind of medicine. But school has proved to be a little bit more difficult. Um, science is, in fact, a little bit harder than any person might think. So will this, will this make it... Uh, because getting into medicine is, is part MCAT, part marks, right? It's a lot of things. It's part reference letters. Um, your but you've been part. to Ecuador with CAMTA. Mm-hmm. They'll refer the hell out of you. Right? I, I volunteer quite a lot. That's, okay. that's where my resume has its strong points. Great. Um, the marks are a little bit on the lower side, but I think everybody has their attributes that they can, as a doctor, I mean, I'm not, I may not be a doctor that gets a 4.0, but somebody who, who simply studies all the time may not be the best doctor because they don't have any bed bedside manners or any type of skills like that. So I think I have... I'd like to say I have the whole package in that I'm preparing myself to be a better doctor in the end because I do like to volunteer in different areas and and I'm a sociable person. I love children and I just want to help people. So I'd like to say that I have the whole package. But I mean, to get into medicine, the marks need to be there. So um, actually, as when I went on this trip, I didn't really know what I'm going to do next year because I'm, I'm done this year, right? I'm, I'm convocating. So it's kind of a scary step, you know, and you don't really know what you're going to do. But I know I need to continue on with school to increase my marks. So I wanted to do grad studies in biomedical engineering. I actually um, I'm working on a grad project right now in wound care. So With like tiny robots that repair your wound? Or like organisms that could kill you. Sure. That's interesting. Yeah. I was going to go off on a Star Trek tangent there, but she totally blocked me. <laughs> Continue. I also don't watch Star Trek. 
Ah! Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I expected that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I didn't know if I was going to do a graduate graduate degree, like a master's of science in biomedical engineering or, or what. Like that was kind of my intention. But um, this trip has changed me because I've decided now to do a Bachelor of Arts after degree in what? Spanish and Latin American studies. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, as you say that with sarcasm. No, that's no, going to get no, me nowhere no, no. times Not two. At all. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm sure if I had an arts degree in Spanish and psychology, I would be marketable. Yeah. No, no I mean, seriously, I mean, if you're going to if you're going to continue to do the, um, you know, medicine abroad, doctors without borders, whatever, and you have a couple of other languages, yeah. you're way ahead of the game. Yeah. And it. The Campton trip really showed me that I can make a difference without being a surgeon right now. Because that's always what I've wanted to do is do these medical missions and be a surgeon and help in that in that kind of aspect. But by being a translator, and I mean, I'm not even a very good one, but by being a translator, I could, I could be the help that people needed right now. So before I'm there, before I reach my goal, I'm okay with helping people in this way. Because there's lots of ways that you can help people. So I saw firsthand how I could, without being a medical professional, help people. And I, it really made the world of a difference to me. Do you feel like uh, the experience um, gave you a lesson? I'm, this, I'm loading this question. What, did you improve your bedside manner by being there? Did you improve maybe the criti- critical piece of the puzzle that's patient care? Um, well, I guess it... Yes and no. I think I already, I have a love for people that, and especially Spanish people, because I've already connected with them. I know what their culture is like, Ecuadorians more specifically. Mm-hmm. But I, so I love the people and I know how to talk to people. I know what's expected of a medical professional. So I did get experience by by speaking with them, especially in a different language. I mean, I was so nervous the first day that I got there. You could feel the beads of sweat coming off my face. I was so terrified. I didn't want to leave the other translator's side because there was a lot of translators there. You need a lot of translators for every patient that comes in. Um, so, I mean, I was just so terrified. Like, I could have crawled under a desk. I didn't want to go. I told I told my friend that um, I'm just, I'm not going to go. I can hide out in your house and just, I can die. I don't want to go because <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. And it was a fear of the unknown. Totally. Um, that's a, I mean, studio? honestly, it's, yeah, that's why we're talking to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Way to parlay that into our uh, show title. I like that. Yeah. Um, so you'd mentioned that just a moment ago that there are a lot of translators. Mm-hmm. So are you essentially tagged to a patient when they arrive and you're the translator responsible for sort of seeing them through the whole process and being there? No. No, that's not how it works? The translators, um, there's a lot of us. So a patient comes in and after going through, the first day that we get there, there's a clinic day. So the patients come in and they're assessed first by the admin to make sure their information's all correct. And then they go and do um, they take, they get looked at by the general physician, the nurses, the surgeons, and then the physiotherapist to make sure, can this person indeed have surgery or not? Is this person good for our clinic? So we probably sifted through over 100 people for sure on the Sunday. And this was actually the gold medal hockey game day. So whatever, February 28th was the gold medal hockey game. It was a Sunday. So we, we sifted through, um, a lot of people, and there were some translators with the surgeons, some translators with the physiotherapists, some admin, some ad admin, and some with the nurses. And they were doing all these 
they were translating for them. And um, after the clinic day, we had a stack of, of files that said, okay, these people, we can operate on these people and we cannot operate on these people. So we had a whole bunch of follow-ups to see as well from the year before, because our patients come back af after one year to see, are you healed properly? Like, are you okay? Um, and the patients that we could operate on were the head honchos, so to speak, made a clinic schedule. So they made a schedule Monday to Friday based on the severity of the recovery or um, how long the surgery was going to take. They made a schedule of who's going to be operated on which day. So we went by that. Um, so we don't even know how many people are going to operate on until we get there on Sunday. Well, we got there on Friday, but um, till we have the clinic day on Sunday. So, so the way it works is that after they're filtered, after we know who's going to have surgery on what day, they come in. Um, they're in the pre-op area where there's already translators. And those translators are very, very good because you have to ask, do you have any allergies? People or patients are scared. So as a new translator myself, I was not comfortable sitting in that position in the pre-op area because if someone was scared, I'm just as scared as they are for different reasons, right? So, I mean, two scared people just don't feed off each other very well. Um, so the fluent, very, very fluent translators would be down there. Then they would go into the OR where generally the adult anesthesiologist knew how to speak Spanish, so there wouldn't need to be somebody there, but sometimes there would be. Then they're, after their operation, they're sent to the recovery room where, again, one of the more fluent translators would be there to to help the person of recovery because if a child is coming out of recovery they're scared they don't know where their mom and dad are you know they're they were asleep and now there's strange faces with people with masks on right so and then they're sent upstairs into the ward area and that's where i was so the ward areas for recovery for right after surgery like i said they're in the recovery room and then they go and um get better it's the healing process so they would sit there and you know have the lay there I guess and the nurses would go and change their dressings if they needed to be changed or take them to the bathroom and then the best part about CAMTA is that within one day patients would be mobile again how is that even possible because you've just had your hip replaced yeah. Or hips. Uh, or hips. Yeah. So th that means that with assistance, people can get up and walk around for a short period of time? Yeah. Like, I could get up and go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, Ecuadorians are really strong people. They're mm -hmm. very, very short. Like, <laughs> the ladies, some of the pictures you can see are hilarious. The really? ladies are two heads shorter than me. And you just, you feel so tall when you're there. <laughs> so some of the taller people, um, one of the pediatric surgeons, Mark Moreau, he started, he was one who started this all with, with his wife, Barb. Um, he's, I mean, he's probably like six foot five, something like that. So in, he used to hit his head on the lights when he was operating. <laughs> There's pictures. It's pretty funny. Um, so to, to be with these people is, you just feel very tall. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is kind of opposite from here. So it, it was a nice feeling. It was a good feeling. But these people are very, very, very strong. They have such a work ethic because they work work at, from their homes. They're, a lot of them are housewives. We had a lot of women come through. There are a lot of housewives that just constantly cook, clean, and take care of their kids. So for them to be immobile for more than a few hours is unimaginable. So they were just eager to get out and eager to go and... Um, it was really cool to see. So they actually wanted, they, they helped us help them. So we worked with the physiotherapist and that's why they went down. The nurses did their job and took care of the dressings and made sure, you know, the vitals were all okay. And the physiotherapist, as soon as they could, they started working with them. So with the adult patients, for example, 
um, we started walking with a walker for them first. And then once they were okay with the walker, we'd start them on crutches. And in order to be able to go home, they had to be able to climb up and down the stairs. So, and nobody went home within the same day. There was, there was one lady that was really close to going home within the day. It was crazy. It depends what time you have your surgery as well, right? But almost a lot of people went home the next day. So 24 hours later, they were sent home. How long does the clinic remain open there? How long were you down there? Um, There's two teams that go down because it is a lot of work. The first team went, the clinic's on Sunday. Operations are from Monday to Friday. And then Saturday and maybe if Sunday needed, um, the nurses and ward nurses and physiotherapists go in to to make sure everybody's okay and they can get discharged. Um, And the same thing happens for one more week. So we're only there for two weeks. That's it. Because it is... It's very draining. I mean, I thought I would be able to go because I have so much energy, so much adrenaline going. I thought I would be able to go for two weeks. But you know what? When you spend 10 hours in the hospital a day, some days are so long. We, we had to get there at 7 in the morning, which is also 5 a.m. this time because – so I just so you didn't up. really have much time to adjust in no, terms of No, it's, it's only a couple hours. But still, I mean, when, it, when it's a couple hours and you have to wake up that early in the morning, it's significant. I would always think of what – I'm like, okay – what time's everybody getting up at home? Yeah. I'm like, all right. So I had to get up at, I think, 5.30 one morning. So I'm like, all right, it's 3.30. May as well not have gone to bed. <laughs> but you need it because you're so exhausted. It's such a long day. And you're running off adrenaline the whole time. I, did, I couldn't even think until I got back. And I was like, whoa, I just went to Ecuador. That was cool. You know? Yeah, I remember actually. So the, the way that we got to know Romo was because she's on Twitter. And that, that was uh, she used that to her advantage to raise money to be able to go. And we'll get to that later on in the show, as I alluded to earlier. But when you came back, you weren't, you weren't immediately active on Twitter again. No. You were, you were kind of a ghost. Yeah. And it, and it sounded like you'd been through a, an ex, a very significant experience mm-hmm. and that it was a lot for you to have to process when you came home mm-hmm. and you didn't really sound like you were very happy to be back. No, I wanted to stay. I definitely wanted to stay. Yeah. My heart, I still think part of my heart is in Ecuador Really? because it was the second time I was there and I got to travel down the same roads that I did before. I volunteered with a doctor beforehand at a different hospital, but just to be able to travel down the same roads. And I told myself two and a half years ago, I'm going to come back here when I'm a doctor, when I'm a professional, medical professional, and I'm going to help these people somehow. I don't know how yet, but I'm going to come back. And to be able, I was sitting on the bus and looking at the same roads that we were taking, the same curves. And like, you remember them because I traveled them for a, a solid month every day. And to be able to do that and know that I'm not a medical professional yet and I came back to help these people was so awesome. I mean, to work as part of a team, that's also very special because you can't, to do this alone, it's so hard. It's so hard. So when you have a team of like-minded people who are willing to help you, then like you bond, you, we really bonded. I knew nobody when I went down. There was not one person that I knew. I met people at general meetings. You know, we had them about once a month, a few times before we left. Um, but I knew no one. I wasn't close with anyone. So there's a couple girls I bonded with uh, over the plane ride down because I was terrified. <laughs> they were like, you know, three more words than us. You're still going to be more helpful than we are. So um, those girls were awesome. But there, it was just to be down there and to know that you're helping people as a team I didn't want to go I didn't want to come back I mean I was ready to come home because I was tired I was exhausted and you know lack of sleep and just so much excitement living off the adrenaline but when I did get home I cried I for sure cried the day I got home um and I cried the next day and then I said okay what am I gonna do like I needed to get on with my life I missed school so 
I decided to channel this sadness and this hurt that I had towards Ecuador for the, for the better. So I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to get better at Spanish for next year because I want to go back. I for sure I'm coming back. I really want to. I mean, if I get accepted or not um, is is still the deciding factor. But I, I just, I loved it, you know? And, and so I said, okay, you know what? Let's channel this, this emotion that I'm feeling right now and make it for the better, change it into a positive energy. So I'm, I, all I wanted to do was study Spanish. <laughs> That's all I wanted to watch Spanish TV, read Spanish books. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get into medicine and I'm going to help these people in a different way. And this is just step one is I'm going to be better at Spanish. So that's why I'm taking higher level Spanish classes next year. And, and yes, you know, people on Twitter were so supportive. Every, I love, love, love the Edmonton Twitter community. They were so supportive. And I mean, I rarely tweeted when I was down there, but I managed the CAMTA account as well because I started the CAMTA account for Twitter. And it's, it's hard when you're at the hospital all day, every day, you're so tired and to blog about things and to tell people how it was going. And it was exhausting. So but people were really supportive and they loved hearing from me and, and from Camta. So I got back on Twitter really quickly because I couldn't, I couldn't not. So, yeah. Um, I should note that the reason that Roma's on the show is because when she started the Camta account, she sent the Unknown Studio a message our, on our Twitter account. It was like, hey, you should follow Camta. And, and I, I can't remember if you actually had said like, Maybe you should follow Campton and also have us on your show. But like after after going to the fundraising event that you put on um, at Original Joe's Varsity Row, which was for those of you who don't know or weren't there, because there were a lot of people mm-hmm. from the Edmonton Twitter community that were there, um, along with Roma, a fellow who probably everybody knows named Jerry Allenbach, who's a realtor and amazing fundraiser Mm -hmm. and just like really excited about the Edmonton community uh, created this event called Yeg Roma Mm -hmm. and it was an event at Original Joe's just come out drink beer play Guitar Hero or Garage Band Rock Band Rock Band yeah Garage Band (laughs) it's a different piece of software (laughs) it's an entirely different piece of software but but, uh, you know people came out and then Roma like a like a trooper hit them all up for money (laughs) That was not my intention. I joined Twitter back in October. I, I'm not saying that that's the reason you joined Twitter, <laughs> but like this this fundraiser was really cool. It, it's it's really like the digital grassroots. The mm-hmm. fact that you, how much money did you need to raise to go to Ecuador? Twenty four hundred dollars per person. Each member committed to raise twenty four hundred dollars to cover basic costs of travel, um, hotel, meals, and yeah. The, and then the rest you're just volunteering your time. Mm-hmm. So. How much money were you able to raise from that one event? Um, well, we kind of made it a social media, so Facebook and Twitter. Right. And how much how much money we could raise because it's it's difficult to attribute it specifically to that because some people heard about it over Facebook, some people heard about it over, through Twitter. So um, through social media alone, I was able to raise forty one hundred dollars, <laughs> and a good portion <laughs> of that came uh, from Yagaroma. <laughs> oh my God, that's madness! Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I joined. When I joined Camta, I expected to pay out of my own pocket. So I was like, you know what? I'm ready to pay. I'm ready to pay $2,400 to be able to go on this. But That is phenomenal. To have so many people supporting you like this, it was amazing. And I love volunteering. Like, this is what I've, I've... I volunteer in a lot of places, and I just love it. I love giving my time. I love giving my energy and my soul to things, right? So when Jerry called me and said... 
<laughs> it was funny. I made, I only made a Facebook event yeah. that said, you know, uh, give me money. Essentially, it was, I need money. Please give me money. So Jerry called me and said, okay, this is lame. We're going to do something a little bit better. And I said, well, okay, what? Like, I'm, I'm still new to the Twitter community. I've, I was only on for a couple months and, you know, I'm just starting to meet people and stuff. And he said, you know what? We're going to make this an awesome event. He's like, and we're going to call it Yegroma. I was like, okay. Um, <clears throat> right away. Yeah. He knew that that's what it had to be called. And I was like, you know, uh. <clears throat> well, um, he's like, no, don't, don't, don't hesitate. We're doing this. <laughs> I said, uh, okay, sure. And this was right around Christmas time that we were talking about this idea, but the money had to be in January 15th. The only day that would work was January 9th, the week before. So we oh, planned man. it all. We talked to Trevor Belcher from Original Joe's Varsity and, you know, he was super nice and on Twitter and we were following each other. So he knew who I was and I'm a legitimate person. I'm not going to use the money for myself. And, um, you know, and this was pretty much to promote Camta. And I, I in a way, kind of gave me more uh, <clears throat> tweet cred, as Jerry would like to call it. <laughs> but it showed that, and like, him and I just bonded instantly with the fundraising thing. Because I love fundraising. I, we, I love organizing things. So we just, we really worked well together for that. And then we kind of went on working with a few other projects, like Yeg Haiti. And I'm helping him out with his um, Yeg Help as well. So... There's, it's been it's really awesome to find somebody else that has the same heart towards giving and towards yeah. like a compassionate heart. So, um, yeah, and he said, you know what, we're going to do this and we're going to make it fun for everyone. So we made Rock Band and my friend Hillary made Camta cookies in the shape of bones because it was orthopedic. Yes, I ate one of them. Yeah, it was I orthopedic did. surgeries. So um, they were a big hit. We're definitely going to have to make more next year. <clears throat> So, um, <laughs> Hillary's probably... sitting in the background groaning. <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe help this time <laughs> if we're oh, making so many more. I iced the cookies. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> While we're on the topic of uh, making money off the internet, we're going to take a short break and uh, solicit for some sponsorship. Have you considered sponsoring or advertising on a local podcast? Well, this is your opportunity. The Unknown Studio is looking for advertisers. If you're interested, contact Adam at theunknownstudio.ca or Scott at theunknownstudio.ca and this space could be filled with your ad. Now, back to the show. And we're back. I think we should take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, the, the Edmonton, Edmonton Journal. Journal. That's right. We tricked those sad sack reporters into giving us their name so we could throw it all over the internets. And in it's exchange true. for that, we're promoting their BlackBerry launcher. Which is fantabulous. I have it on my BlackBerry right now. Really? I want it. See? There you go. It works. Advertising works. So it's an app. <laughs> Where you can read, uh, you know, the Edmonton Journal online. Ah, oh, I want it. Uh, those of you with iPhones don't need to worry about that because there's a mobile version of their site. But I'm told they're investigating the possibility of creating an iPhone app. Fantastic. Thank you, Edmonton Journal. Yeah, thanks, Edmonton Thank Journal. Thank you indeed, Edmonton Journal, a fine local publication. Better than the sun. Uh, so. so. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about cookies. Mm, cookies. And uh, icing. My favorite's chocolate. But, but the bone cookies were not chocolate. No. They were sugar cookies, but they, they were, were amazing. They were but they, it, was, it was a really tremendous event anyway, this Yeg Roma event. It enabled her to raise almost double what she needed to uh, and is a testament not only to 
Roma's enthusiasm and Jerry's assistance, of course. Mm-hmm. But the the social media community in Edmonton, again, first rate. Frankly, they're the reason we exist. And well, uh, they're they're certainly the reason why we're mildly successful. <laughs> we would we would exist either way. I would argue. Yes, mild success. Eventually, we'll be hot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Thanks. you got me on the show now, too. Ro- and Roma, Roma claims she's going to get us hundreds more listeners. Hundreds. Oh, okay. Across Canada. Actually, I believe her exact words were up to 50s of listeners. <laughs> well, that's an order of magnitude over what we it, have. It right really now. is, yeah. So, so I, I wanted to ask you, because you, you've been to Ecuador once before. You went a second time. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're part of your heart lives there. Yeah. Why? I've never been. I've seen. I have a, my best friend went there. She said it was beautiful. The photographs were beautiful. To Ecuador specifically. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So, but what is it about this place that that made you feel a connection with it? You know what? I think it's the people. To be honest, it's the people, and they're so grateful for everything. I mean, when I started learning Spanish, it's such a beautiful language. Anyways, it's so different, and I started learning Spanish, and you know, there's some cute Spanish boys that exist too. <laughs> some maybe some singers too, um, but there's it, it's really the people are just so giving and so caring that they just. I mean, when we were down there there's patients that knitted us scarves because they're like, we heard it's cold in Canada. So here's some scarves. So I probably got three or four scarves from patients and they're so grateful. They're willing to give whatever they have just to be able to, you know, have this surgery and not only for this surgery, but, um, when I was there the first time, it really is the people that, that make it because mm-hmm. it's who you travel with and it's who you live with. And my host family was awesome. And I actually got a chance to see them again this past time when I was there, we visited. Nice. So, um, and it's just, Knowing that, like, education isn't a right, it's a privilege. So I have the opportunity to be educated, and I want to go further with my education. And I want to share that with people. I want to share that with humanity. And this is the way that my heart's going. And this is the way I feel I can be helping people. There's lots of other ways to help people. You don't have to be a doctor, obviously. But this is the way that I think I can help people, is by going and doing these surgeries. And I mean, who knows, once I get into medicine, I might not want to be a surgeon anymore but I'm I still I'm I'm attracted to this healthcare field because I think the human body is fascinating so if I can educate myself to help educate other people to me that's that's all I need in my life Mm -hmm. I'll be happy and I mean life is all about happiness right so what what are you doing that makes your life happy is there anywhere else in the world that you'd like to travel and help South America I definitely I want to I'm attracted to South America um the Spanish language first of all is definitely something that I'm eager to explore and there's countries like Nicaragua and El Salvador and and Peru and Chile there's there's lots of places in South America that I'd love to visit and I think I will end up visiting those one day um, before I become a medical professional just traveling you know just to get used to the country and maybe live there or something but I just South America for some reason tugs at me all the time so the fact that I'm gonna keep studying it is awesome that's wicked if it's worthwhile to talk about if you if you have some knowledge about it Healthcare in our province. This is a tough topic. It is a tough topic, yeah. and and it's uh, you know we were going one way under Minister Liepert, and we we're going another way under is it Zwazdeski? Um, what is? Do you have an opinion on where healthcare is at in in Alberta, where it should be? Are we close? To, are we are we successful? Um. Well, this is. It's a tough topic for anybody, especially if you want to become a future medical professional, because you have to watch what you say. Ah. You will be, you're accountable to what you're, 
opinions are. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I... I guess I'm allowed to say so because I'm not in medicine yet, but... If well, I'm governing yourself accordingly. Yeah. But I think... I like how everyone can have access to healthcare because this is what I, how I envision my own life to be, is to go down to South America and help everybody have healthcare. So if I live in a place that allows for this, it helps me advocate more for maybe my beliefs, I think. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say anything about the lines and, you know, the long wait times and, and things like that. But um, I, that's one thing that I really, really like is the, the universality of our healthcare and how everyone does have access, regardless of how long it takes or how long you have to wait to get an x-ray or to see a doctor for a bleeding nose. But um, there's things that could be done to, to help alleviate some of the wait times and, and stuff. But I think overall, as a healthy person, I'm okay with the system as right. it is right now. Because I think a lot of countries could learn from Canada too. Um, and as was evident by this past week's bill passing yeah. this past week. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, even the U.S. Is, is going more towards a little bit more of a universal type of healthcare. So it really is a tough issue. It's very touchy and um, people can get very passionate about it. You do raise an interesting point, though, because uh, you said as a healthy person, you're satisfied with the healthcare mm-hmm. system. What would happen if everyone was healthy? You know, would we be as, would we have to wait as long to go to, I mean, emergency cases for certain things obviously have nothing to do with, well, no, actually, that's not true. They what all do you have mean to by do with, everybody was healthy? Well, There's I mean, never going to be everybody's but healthy. But you know, like people who aren't deliberately unhealthy, like say uh, some people who are involved in emotional eating or don't choose not to exercise. Mm-hmm. I think some of the lifestyle choices we're making now or have made in the past are obviously impacting the system now. And oh, it's yeah. it's folly to think that, you know, throwing money into a pit to, to try and improve that is going to help. It's going to be a really gradual process, mm-hmm. perhaps generational. And you're absolutely right that it, it will also take a bit of a change in attitude. Yeah. And people need to live healthier. Mm-hmm. This is the shift in, in medicine that we're seeing these days, is a shift from... Um, the medicine that's helping people to fix the problems to preventative medicine. Yeah. And this is this is actually slowly what we're starting to see because there's a lot more education on how you should be eating, what you should be eating, even from little kids and elementary schools. You know, they're trying to get rid of the vending machines because mm-hmm. they're so bad for you and they're, people aren't realizing the consequences. So now I think medicine these days is taking a shift towards preventative medicine. But this is the part where we're so educated that we can there's educators, you know, there's diabetes educators and, and other types of people that can go to different countries and explain this is how, you know, share our knowledge, share our wealth of, of what we're doing. So yes, as a healthy person, I'm, I understand all this, but I, to be honest, I, there's never going to be somebody that's not a healthy person. And you're just specifically talking lifestyle, but there's always going to be gunshot wounds. That's already a person that's damaged, right? I would argue that that is part of a lifestyle choice in Okay, part. Some cases. <laughs> um, you know, gangsterism and whatnot. <laughs> Our knife fights in Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just going to a bar in Edmonton. Really, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's de- a definite lifestyle choice that could result in a stabbing. I love you, Edmonton. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love it. So it's, yeah, it, you're right. It is part of lifestyle choices. But I think there will always be, healthcare will always be needed. There will never be Absolutely. a time when 
people are always healthy. I think but part of it stems from our education and educating other people as to what is a healthy lifestyle or part of a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, because I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that our lifestyle choices from the past, say smoking. Mm -hmm. We know now that smoking is bad for you. Mm -hmm. uh, but by the time we realized this, some of the damage caused to people was irreversible. So now they are... Now they have to use the healthcare system to to manage their lives, to you know improve things, to to mitigate risk and all that stuff. So I think I'm hopeful, perhaps naively so, that we've sort of reached this peak where we were a little bit too dumb as a species to realize some of the impacts of of the choices we are making. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, maybe maybe things will start to improve in terms of people's accessibility to healthcare, wait times, that kind of thing, because we're smarter about the way we're living. Now, that assumes that we are now smarter about the way we're living. I don't know that we are, but I'm like I like I said before, throwing money at it isn't going to fix it. But there I think there will always be people who as soon as you have a runny nose will be running to the hospital. As long as there those are outliers though. I guess. That's so. got to be the the exception you're speaking generally yeah rather than the rule so yeah i'm gonna stop smoking right now and chugging this whole <laughs> bottle of scotch because i don't want because to it is an unhealthy lifestyle choice and yes it is very unhealthy but the brownest of the brown liquors is so so sweet on the lips <laughs> is that the older it is the browner it is i don't know that's certainly true for uh, at least my cousin, whose skin color changes browner every time he <laughs> has a birthday. Clearly, we need to have a scotch expert on the show at some Ooh, point. Absolutely. Idea. Didn't we Can want to get a bartender on the show at some point to sure. talk about drinks? I'm no bartender, but I'd love to come. You'd love to come and... and what we'll do, things? we'll invite yeah. all of our previous guests back. We'll have like a mixer. We're going to get them all drunk. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. As long as we're not making drinks with Red Bull. I find that unacceptable. Also, really? potentially yeah. deadly as I understand it, but... Nah. <laughs> no biggie. That is also an is unhealthy energy? lifestyle Absolutely choice. Absolutely, <laughs> it is. Now, Roy, it sounds like you get you're a very busy young lady. Yeah. You get very little sleep. Yeah. Is... I thrive off of that though. I love the adrenaline. You yeah. Know? If, if you meet me, I'm so excited about everything. I just I have I so much passion to give everybody, and, and I just I want to share it. You want some? <laughs> I want some of that passion. <laughs> I want you to share it. No, I was yes. going to say, because we're talking about sharing right now, I should tell all of our listeners that it is, as we record this, Roma's birthday. Yeah. So she brought us cake for some reason, because it's her birthday. I love to share. She did eat about two-thirds of it, of course, <laughs> but that's... We have the dregs of cake. That we have we have cake crumbs. Can I say that my parents bought me that cake? You can say <laughs> there that. There we go. <laughs> so it's the dregs of her parent cake. So... Yeah. Uh, Happy birthday. Thank, Thank you for you. coming Happy in birthday. on your birthday to record with us. You know what? This is my passion and I love it. I want to help people and the more people know about it and the more people know about what kind of an organization this is. I mean, without Twitter and without this, it's it's not a very, this is actually the ninth year that it's been to Ecuador, that camp okay. has been to Ecuador. You wouldn't have guessed that because nobody really knows about it other than the healthcare professionals. So, but to me... Camp does a lot more than just healthcare professionals. It's the people who gave me $20, everybody, because this is $20 I never had before, you know? And I mean, with $50, you buy a unit of blood for a patient down there and you buy them a hospital stay. And there's lots of things where people can help, whether you're, this is what you're passionate about or not. Mm -hmm. Even just 
I don't know. I'm, I'm just really willing to share about my experiences and it, it was life-changing for me. And I think, I mean, anyone can go. You don't need to be a translator. You don't need to be a medical professional. And I think it's just, it's a great organization that does a lot of awesome work. How can people get involved? Well, there is going to be a Yegroma <clears throat> coming up in about... Yegroma 2? Yeah, Yegroma 2. This is um, going to be a yearly thing for sure. Okay. I'm... Again, I'm really passionate about this organization. I'm not like Jerry who, you know, volunteers for, well, I do volunteer for a lot of organizations, but I'm not going to be volunteering, making a lot of tweet ups. That's not my thing. I'm, I'm busy in other ways. Um, but there is going to be a Yegroma 2. It'll be earlier this year, probably sometime in November, so we can get things planning. There's going to be t-shirts made. Okay, mark off your calendars, everybody. Keep November clear. Exactly. <laughs> so everyone's more than welcome. It's not just a tweet up, but it's a chance to meet awesome people and just kind of have a good time. And uh, Yegroma is actually the first time I've ever played rock band. Really? Yeah. Were you any good? Yeah, it was, it was pretty decent. Sweet. On easy, you know, and yeah, it was, it was good. So, and the Lady Gaga has um, a rock band coming out did you hear that no i did not apparently last week or the last a couple weeks ago it had lady gaga so the um bad romance song which people have correlated to me does she uh, <laughs> why Ra-ra, roma roma ma. okay <laughs> do you get it <laughs> I'm, I'm with you it's not gonna be on air <laughs> I, yeah of course it is but I, I heard all i heard was the phrase bad romance and mm, no i guess it just means boys she says my name clear yes she does yeah right. so that's why people just they think of that song they think of me i i just love poker face little known so. fact that song is also about her about no Roma? it is not or poker face poker face is about roma oh yeah well oh. yeah right now lady gaga is actually a big fan of roma of roma i'm actually gonna see her when she comes because you guys are buddies yeah of course yeah. my girlfriend met her really yeah sweet she's on twitter too <laughs> see uh, i'm telling you guys twitter is uniting the world so uh yeah there's gonna be a yegroma and you're more than welcome to everyone's more than welcome to come out and play some rock band eat some cookies and i mean donate money of course because that's Our, yeah. Are you doing it at uh, Original Joe's again? Most likely, yeah. Sweet. Trevor Definitely. will be glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know it yet, but uh, yeah. sometime in November. <laughs> Maybe I have to start planning now. <laughs> so um, there's that way. There's lots of other fundraisers. There's some liquor raffles that's that are being done as well What's through involved Camta. In that? Um, there's some people. <laughs> liquor, that... of course. <laughs> of course. Um, as there's I liquor baskets. Yeah. <laughs> A few people with Camta organize, everyone is, is responsible for their own fundraising. So this is the way I chose to do mine, is to use Twitter and social media to help promote myself and how I need to raise money for Camta. It all goes towards Camta in the end. None of the extra money's for me at all whatsoever. So other people choose to do um, raffles with liquor baskets. So they went to liquor companies and said, can you please donate some... Um, some items and we'll make baskets worth, you know, $200, five baskets worth $200 and you buy a raffle ticket okay. and they do a random raffle for a few times. So there's other ways. There's, I think somebody's going to do a craft sale. I mm-hmm. think there was um, a dance that was put on, I think at the Starlight Room with a couple DJs, Latin DJs that other people organized that, you know, tickets are 10 bucks, bring your friends and all the proceeds or 70% of the proceeds go towards Camta because of venue issues and things like that. So cool. there's a lot of stuff that people don't know about. And, and I think with Twitter now, um, with how Camta's on Twitter, it's going to help promote a lot more of these events that are happening in Edmonton because it's a great, I mean, great way to get involved. And if you don't, like, if you're not a medical professional, um, a lot of it is money because that's what we need in order to help of course. Our, our organization flourish. But um, there was a crutch drive that we actually put on because the patients needed crutches to be able to walk. So I tweeted and there was actually a number of, of I think in total there's 
oh, you know what, I don't even know, 50 about crutches that were collected. And I mean, a lot of it came from healthcare professionals who knew other, you know, healthcare professionals who knew other health, healthcare professionals. But um, just even being supportive and reading the blog shows that, you know, you care and and um, you, you want to get involved in that way and, and see what Campta's doing. Wow. Sounds like Campta's doing a lot. Well, last year we did 72 surgeries. Oh that my was gosh. in 2008 in two weeks time and this year they did over 90 different surgeries how how is that even possible did they send more people where they're just they were just like this this time we're gonna do 20 more um i think a lot more time was spent in the hospital too but, okay um the surgeons worked a little bit faster and every year that we go there's there's always things that can be improved on so organizational skills and there's a system now for packing up the bags that you know existed last year but it was improved on this year by the, a, a guy that joined um a couple a couple years ago and it just it keeps improving we we learn organizational skills we learn what works what doesn't work for the hospitals and for other things so next year we're actually going to be in a different hospital this year we're, we're at tierra nueva hospital in south quito and south quito is like the bad area of town mm-hmm. um we're going to be a little bit further away at canto de la vida hospital and it's a brand new hospital. I think the government's putting in some money as well. That's nice. helping. They're helping us. So it's a public hospital. Um, people go there and I mean, you don't, it's not private there. I don't believe it is, but I could be wrong. So, you know, you go there and you have to get assessed by social workers and as to what your financial situations are. And um, we'll be working in a brand new hospital. So we're still going to have our equipment. We actually had a container sent by ship. Mm-hmm. I believe it was by ship um, full of um, surplus computers that the government of Alberta donated. So we had, I know that's the way a government's helping us in that sense, not funding, but I mean, old computers, two, three-year-old computers. That's cool. Not good enough for the government anymore. So let's send them to Ecuador. It's going to be crappy when you turn them on and all my personal data is still on it. It's like, <laughs> oh, we forgot to erase them. Well, I mean, this year they didn't have, they didn't have, um, they didn't have any electric beds. So they're all beds that are wound. Like oh, there's, man. Yeah, there's nothing like you don't think of these kind of things until you get there. And I was like, where's the button? There's no button. Okay. It's a, it's a hand rotator thing that I don't even know what it's called. You actually so. just have to get a stack of phone books. <laughs> well, it's, you know what? There's, there was a lot of things that we. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. That it's just, you don't think about this kind of stuff. It's all the like, stuff that we take it, that we take for granted. Like, it's funny. In one of the pictures, somebody's like, is she carrying a toilet, a, a, pa- a roll of toilet paper? I said, well, yeah, of course. Like every patient needed their own toilet paper in order to go to the bathroom because there's no toilet paper there. <sighs> You don't think about that, but everybody brought their own toilet paper because it's just what you do in that area. Is you, you would actually paper. be very surprised about how often I do think of toilet paper. Well, I carry it just in case you know you run out. Do you? Often. Your purse is giant. Thank you. She's got a twenty-four pack of toilet paper just kind of <laughs> sticking out a little bit. Everything under the sun, really. So, um, the other than the Smith and nephew. Um, Smith and Nephew donated a lot of prostheses to us, but the Rotary and Lions Clubs in Alberta have also been very, very generous with their support. There's also a gentleman in Calgary that helped out um, donating a certain amount of money. I, I want to say it was $60,000 over the last couple years. Maybe it was $50,000, but there's been a lot of generous supporters. Not only the people that, you know, donate $20, $30 or just their time, but there's a lot of organizations that help us in, help us out in this way too. That's good. Mm-hmm. Will will it always be, it, will Camta always go to Ecuador? Will it grow to go to other places at, on top of that? 
Eventually, yes, we do want to. Um, it's called the Canadian Association of Medical Teams Abroad. It's right. not only specific to orthopedic surgeries. It's a skeleton that's built for anyone else who wants to do any other missions, but it takes a lot of organizational oh, skills. Man. I know I want to eventually send a team of um, diabetes educators and to, to educate people on how they should be living and how they can live with their diabetes and how they can manage it because people just don't know there. And it's just, it's all about a lack of education. So if I have this and it's, a privilege to me why not why am i not sharing it so knowledge is power exactly the more you know <laughs> so maybe you should go back for another degree i'm satisfied with the one i have all right i hated school i oh, see i love it i seldom went to class oh, i loved being horrible. at school <laughs> you know it was like i was like i was into the school scene but if you put me in a classroom it wasn't a good idea it was just terrible for me university was more about networking yeah and i think that's the case with a lot of people to get on a bit of a tangent i think a lot of people the the thing the thing of the most value that they glean from their time in university more so than college more so than like a technical institute is networking and socializing and meeting people and uh forging bonds that are going to help them later on in their life yeah. more so than just getting a general arts degree or i think whatever. i think that's how people who are most successful out of university have looked at it and the the extremely successful people i i would hazard to say that you will if you're not already roma you'll become one of them well, they find you. a way to balance that stuff because you are you're you're a you like to meet new people you are a networker but you you've and you've admitted that you don't maybe work as hard as you could because of that mm -hmm. but i don't think that's a bad thing well i think because of my networking and i met my girlfriend in Spanish class who introduced me to Camta and look where I am now. Yeah. Um, I work for a branch of the provincial government as a summer student. I met somebody there who introduced me to Twitter and look where that got me. Yeah. So without making friends, you would just get nowhere in this world. And I realize now that friends are such an important part, not even just friends, but even acquaintances, you know, totally. if you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, it's such an awesome world, especially this Edmonton community. Like oh. that's why I love the Twitter community. Unreal. I don't know anybody that's, it's just, everyone makes fun of me for being on Twitter, but you know what? It's the best thing that's happened to me in 2009. And on the subject of making friends, this is a great opportunity for us to get to know Roma a little better. Well, let's do that. Okay. We are going to subject you <clears throat> to my hot and sweaty Fast 15. I was warned. By uh, your friend Hillary? Yes. So the Fast 15 is 15 questions. Mm -hmm. First, 13 are standard questions that we ask of all our guests. The last two are wild card questions uh, tailored specifically to you. You get two passes, so if you get hung up on one, you can just say, I don't want to answer that. But it's best if you don't pass. Okay. You ready? Okay. Roma Sobieski and the Fast 15. Here we go. Number one. I'm scared. Your favorite food. Really? Ice cream. Okay. <laughs> I didn't, I was, I that was good. That was fine. Yeah. <laughs> your favorite color. Purple. Mac, PC. Mac. Okay. Wow. <laughs> That's the first time that's ever happened. Really? Yeah. Yes. Dogs or cats? Dogs. What was your first vehicle? Um, it was um 1993 Geo Tracker. Oh, an outstanding vehicle. <laughs> it's awesome. I love my little tracker. Roma Mobile. <laughs> it got hurt. 
and it died. <laughs> <laughs> your uh, your favorite holiday? My birthday. Today, everyone that that we you'll hear this later, but Saturday, March twenty seventh. Is apparently a, a holiday. Yeah. Because it's Roma's birthday. It's Roma Day. It is Roma we Day. We hashtagged it Roma Day. Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. Uh, your favorite sport? Soccer. Your favorite pastime? Sleeping. Your favorite music at this moment? Mm, Spanish. His name is Juanes. Oh, Juanes. <gasps> Juanes. Sounds hot. Ooh, he really is. Uh, <laughs> your favorite movie? I, don't, I rarely watch movies. No TV, the, no the movies. The Lion King? The Lion King counts. That's okay, fine. Good. That's good. Now, the, the problem is that the next two questions are movie questions. So what is a movie that you think is highly overrated? Everyone likes it, but you don't. Well, I haven't seen it. Star Trek? <laughs> I really haven't get it. It's wait. not overrated. It's okay. Not it's underrated Star and it's Wars? glorious. No, yeah, sure. That's fine. Star Wars will accept that. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> and and our last movie question. Okay. <laughs> Is there a movie that people make fun of you for liking? Like The Lion King, maybe. <laughs> no, the Lion King rules. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, not really. Well, then, I, don't, I don't watch a lot of movies. Let's That's pass on that one, then. The Notebook? But every girl loves The Notebook. Uh, so does every guy. If I'm a representative sample, Scott is shaking his head. I love The Notebook. There's, there's Noah's out there. Ryan Gosling is so hot. Oh, thank you. Rachel McAdams, though. Really? Eh, I guess she was all right. Oh, uh, okay, next beautiful. question. Your proudest moment. Wow. You know what? To be honest, the one that I can think of, I guess, just right now. Actually, there's two. There's two. I, I thought of another one. Um, back in high school, so it was a number of years ago, I ran for vice president um, to be vice president of my class, graduating class. I dressed up as a tomato. I compared, because my name, there's a type of Roma tomato, yeah. for those of you who don't know. I compared three different types of tomatoes. I actually brought them to school. One of those big red hot tomatoes and a little cherry tomato and a Roma tomato. And I compared why Roma was the best. And I won. I dressed up as a tomato too. Did I say that? That was my campaign. That is one of her proudest yeah. moments. Well, I won. And, and I'd like to add, <laughs> that is what is missing. From politics in this yeah. province. <laughs> tomatoes. Really? Or truly. more specifically, people dressing up as tomatoes. Yes. Okay, my, but my other proudest moment is um, Yegroma, actually. It yeah. was it was quite a success. I was very happy with the way it turned out. and um, But I couldn't have done it with anybody else. I don't really have any proud moments specifically. It's just like with other people. and That's great. No, that's, and, a, that's perfect. And you know what? Even being able to do this camp to trip, to know that I overcame this personal challenge of being... T I was terrified. Terrified. Um, but I like to challenge myself. So... I did it. And I mean, I came back and I was like, wow, I did it. That's awesome. So that was really, it was a personal challenge for me that I had to get over and, and say, you know what? I'm not the best at Spanish right now, right now, maybe later. Um, but I can do this and I can still do this without being amazing at something. So, Sweet. Yeah. Now we're on to our wild card. Questions. Oh, no. The first wild card question. Your Twitter name is Acromatica. Acromatica, yeah. Why is that significant? Where'd you get that from? Well, um, I didn't want my name just to be there because my name is very unique anyways, and I can be found really, really easily. And mm -hmm. I just, I don't like that. Uh, there's, there should be some kind of security around my name too. Yeah. Especially on the internet. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd make up a, a cool name, right? Like a really awesome, really different name. So I kind of looked at something. What has the name Roma in it? So, cause Acromatica has Roma in it. It does. She's yeah. right. So that's actually where it came from is. And Adam just figured that out <laughs> right now. What, you, you guys all knew? A lot of people did, yeah. We didn't tell you. <laughs> I should be on this distribution list that everyone else is a part of. I thought you could read into the mind. 
arts. I don't know where psychology. my degree is. I don't have it with me, so I can't. <laughs> okay. uh, I can't do it. So I started looking up a, a few different words that had um, roma in them, and chromatism, acro- acroma- achromatism is lack of color in the eye. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of feminized it by putting an A at the end, because in Spanish you can you can put an O if it's male and an A in any language other than English. Really, yeah, you can do that. So I just kind of made it a bit more feminine and put achromatica. Sweet. I think chromatica. Or, Achromatism was actually taken or, or something like that. Really? So yeah. Weird. Yeah, it was kind of weird. Your last wild card question. Yeah. I had written it down, but I'm changing it. Oh no. Name one thing that you fear above all other things. You are not asking me this question. I am right asking now. you this question. <laughs> so you're asking like a phobia. Yeah. A phobia. A legitimate for real phobia. It might sound crazy to other people. I actually know the Yeah, answers. I know. <laughs> so say it. I don't know if I want say to. I'm afraid of balloons. You have globophobia? Yes, I do. Oh, it is a rare and crippling disease, and you are a bad man. But it for making exists. Thank oh, you very much. I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm fascinated by it. Remember, I have an arts degree in psychology. Why are you afraid of balloons? If I could tell you that, I would be able to fix it. Of course. It's totally <laughs> irrational. How do you react when there's a balloon how close can a balloon be to you? Well, um, oddly enough, in Ecuador, there were balloon animals all around me. <laughs> Nobody else knew that I was afraid of balloons, so I obviously did a really good job hiding it. Wow, you really overcame your fears over there, hey? Well, um, you can't bring one close to me. Like, I don't, I can be in the same room as them. They used to be really bad, like, in my first first year chemistry class, we did a balloon experiment. I ran out of the class. Oh it was a lecture hall of, like, three, 200 people. I just ran out. <laughs> Is People it, still remember that. <laughs> is it like the shape? Is it the texture? Is it the fear that it's going to pop? I think all. Okay. It's but, just one of those things. It's just, yeah. Especially when it's inflated. I really don't like that. Like, really don't like it. I don't like it stretchy either. We tried that. Balloons. Just everything about balloons. I can hold a deflated it. one. Yeah, no. And if so some, if my children will never be exposed to balloons. Not that I have any, but they will. They will never be exposed. What about, uh, what about water <laughs> balloons? I'm okay with those. Because they're not full of air, they're full of water. The th- stuff that we're breathing in is terrifying when you place it inside a balloon. <laughs> so weird, eh? I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of it. It's, it's just interesting to me. It's funny because I <clears throat> had a friend. Uh, he used to work at Leon's. And you know those gigantic balloons that they have? Yes. He took one and chased me out of my house. Wow. This down is... my block. This and we were both in track and field because I do sports, and he won. And then he quartered me in his truck. It was bad, 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 bad. My gosh. She actually is, like, in a faraway place right now. Yeah. It's, like, Reliving traumatic her moment. awful past. She's in a trance even. You know what? It's a physiologically, it, it's it's a... It's, it, it hurts. It hurts the body. It's not only, it's psycho, it starts psychological. I believe that it starts psychological. And of course I can get over it. Yeah. But I think it's, it's physiological too. Your body goes into a fight or flight response mm-hmm. where your heart starts beating super fast. And it, it's actually like you're, you are going to die is, is what a phobia is. Yeah. And you're so afraid of something that it's going to kill you. So, I mean, I know balloons aren't going to kill me. Maybe if they pop in my face or something, but I just, I, I don't know where this, this fear came from. So interesting. I just don't like them. Your greatest fear, Scott? What a strange question. Why are you asking me? Because I'm fascinated by this now. Do you have a phobia? Uh, I'm not really a a phobic, no. I'm certain I have 
bizarre, irrational fears. Nothing springing to mind that's You want to hear something funny? Yes. I have a friend afraid of E.T., like deathly afraid of E.T. No, that's terrifying. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is legitimate. That's not even... <laughs> okay, no, sorry. I thought that was funny. No. Sorry, Daniel. He, he's upsetting. <laughs> I hope we never have him on the show. You were going to ask me a question, and the answer... Um, Adam, what's your fear? Yeah. I shared mine. You share yours. Mm-hmm. What do I have an irrational fear of? If you were to place me inside a sleeping bag and zip it up. Really? Yeah. What's that called? Claustrophobia. claustrophobia. I am claustrophobic. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Although, like, if I'm, but not to the point where, like, I could be in a crowded room with wall-to-wall people. And unless I'm really being crushed, mm-hmm. uh, I don't experience panic. Mm-hmm. But if, have you ever been in the, at the front of a mosh pit? I yeah, have. I can't go there. Because I'll get, I'll freak out. If, if there's people, like, squishing me. And I feel like I can't move at all. I just, I lose it. Hmm. Fight or flight. And usually it's flight. So, what is coming up next time? Our next guest is going to be Helen or Helene Walsh. She's which she's with the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society. And we're going to talk to her about, um, well, the health of the forests in this province and what industry is doing to them. And what CPAWS, her organization, is trying to do to make sure that we leave our children an ecosystem. That sounds fascinating. I think it will be. I'm I really agree. looking forward to I'll it. I'll be listening. Right on. Yes. We have a new listener, everybody. <laughs> yes. To add to our 30s or possibly 40s. Our listening. 42s of listeners. Soon to be 50s. Thank you once again, Roma, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful and happy birthday. Thanks. Thank you for the cake. You're welcome. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 21. Our guest, Roma Sobieski. Our topic, Campta. Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart. Post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening.